we're doing this episode of the show before the show podcast and i have like the, like the just woke up voice because despite the fact that it is 10 30 in the morning on thursday july 15th i've been sleeping primarily for the last like two days ever since the the end of all of the all-star week festivities here in denver and what a fun week it was we talked yesterday as we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show my name is tyler mon sam dykstra is in new york city um I said literally the only thing that was a bummer about this All-Star Week was that you weren't here. Other than that, yeah, it was pretty great. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Yeah, I was, I was surprised to see you come in as the, uh, not in a bad way, but in the, the sleepy way. Because just your energy, I felt it here in Brooklyn. And I'm not talking about just like our conversations that we've had and your tweets and our texts back and forth and conversations over the phone. Just like there's been some energy just emanating out of the West yeah. And I just assume that's been coming from you, but it's also just been coming from All-Star Week in general, which seems to have been a raging success between all the things that happened. Many of you at home know about them in terms of the All-Star Game was super exciting and entertaining. The Home Run Derby was certainly so. Um, but for our purposes, the Futures Game went off really well. Uh, would have loved to have seen those guys for, for even more if we could have, but we took the seven innings that we got. Uh, the draft went off really well with some surprises that we'll get into here. Uh, but it really seems like everything went as good as it could have in Denver. And Tyler, obviously you were there. You were experiencing so much of it. You were pretty much there for every big event yeah. in the greater Denver area. Um, so what was it like from your perspective? Man, it was amazing. It uh, it For me, I just like personally have to tell the story so when i was in uh seventh grade going into eighth grade we had the 98 all-star game here i went there with my dad uh for the home run derby didn't go to the game my dad went to the game but didn't take me so that's like a form of uh of you know an emotional thing that i think of for the rest of my life do, do you uh, want to talk about it right now tyler do you want to <laughs> <laughs> but my dad bought a ticket for the game this year, uh, he was in section 145 down the, the third base side at Coors Field. And uh, and I got to walk down and like say hi to him from the warning track. And I just felt like, man, if you could have explained to me at 13 years old that when the next All-Star game came around, I'd be on the field getting to cover it. I would feel pretty darn cool. And, uh, and it was pretty cool having that moment with my dad. The entire week was just amazing, man. It started off for us. Uh, on the pipeline side, uh, Kelsey Hennigan and Jason Ratliff were out here, uh, as well as, of course, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, who it was so great to finally get a chance to hang around with them. Um, and it was really from day one, it was loaded. We had the, the high school All-American game on Friday uh, at Coors Field. Saturday had the high school home run derby. Uh, the winners of that moved on, Sal Stewart and Jared Jones. They moved on to the, the Major League uh, All-Star home run derby on Monday. Um, Sunday was the Futures game. Monday was the derby. Tuesday was the game. It was just like every single day, there was something new and cooler than the day before, uh, which, you know, this is old hat for Sam Dykstra. Sam's gotten a chance to do this a lot, which is so awesome. And uh, and I get the feeling that you have had every year getting a chance to do this. Like there really is just nothing cooler than it. And uh, it was amazing, man. The other thing that's so cool about it is how many people you see from various stops in your baseball life um, or even just people that you know and you see from uh, you know the baseball world at large met Jeff Pass and met Boog Shambi um, so many of these people who have been uh, around the game that you've seen or you've watched or uh, you've read for all of the years of your baseball loving life and uh, and that was really cool too um, and it was just man what a what a few days like it uh, I got done on 
uh, Tuesday after the game, and I met up with uh, famed designer, logo, and uh, and and everything designer Todd Radom, uh, who's done so much work for MLB and has done work with minor league teams and major league teams and teams across sports. He designed a Super Bowl logo. Like Todd's a, a legend, and Todd and I uh, hung out a couple of different times this week. And I just like sitting there at Wine Coop Brewery. Uh, which they pronounce Wincoop, but that's a whole Denver thing. Uh, and having beers with Todd Radom after the conclusion of the all-star game, I was thinking to myself, like, I'm exhausted. Like, I feel like I've worked a bajillion hours over the last several days. And yet I would do this for five more days in a heartbeat. Like it was so much fun. Uh, the game, I did not really get to see much of the game. I saw the first inning and a half or so from the stands. And then I was stationed down uh, underneath behind the American league clubhouse uh, past the tunnel where they were bringing out players for media availability. I was on the AL side, Manny Randawa of MLB.com was on the, the NL side and Manny's another awesome dude. I got to work with so many of the cool uh, MLB.com people and Kennedy Landry with the Rangers and uh, Juan Tribio with the Dodgers and Do Young Park with the twins and Jess Camerato uh, from the nationals and, and, Mark Feinstein was there. Jen Langlash was there and uh, Thomas Harding, who's a legend around here. Um, and so that was awesome. And, and it was really cool getting a chance to talk to all those guys as they came off. Um, you know, being in on Shohei Otani's media availability was amazing. He did English language media through his interpreter. Then he did Japanese language media press scrum. Then he did Japanese media one-on-ones. Then he's taken pictures with people like he is the entire package. Um, and so that was really neat. Um, the whole thing was amazing, man. And uh, in the futures game, you know, seeing the the top talent in the prospect community come through was fantastic. And we'll talk about that, obviously. But uh, what a fun few days. What a very fun few days. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we'll get up much into it. We're going to start out here with three strikes in a second. But one of the great things about All-Star Week, and hopefully you guys were able to see this at home as well, is just – the baseball universe really is centered around that town where wherever it may be this year it was in Denver next year. I think it's going to be in LA uh, after the Dodgers are supposed to have the 2020 all-star game. Now they'll get the 2022, but for one week, and especially now with the draft folded in there, so many of the top talents in the sport are all in one place, celebrating each other, getting to see each other. Um, even now, even when so much of baseball media is readily available to you, highlights are available. It, it, the idea of interleague play when you would only get to see guys once in a blue moon or maybe not at all doesn't exactly exist in the way it used to, but still to see all these talents together, whether it's in the draft, whether it's seeing Henry Davis go first overall and being in the room for it, or whether it's the futures game in which Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez are playing in the same outfield. And that's a Seattle fans dream, getting to see that play out on, on the field there at Coors or, you know, the home run derby and seeing Otani and Soto go back and forth and Pete Alonso just continuing to win the belt and becoming what I hope is the home run derby participant emeritus, just no matter what he's doing until he's like 45 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old and can't pick up a bat anymore. He should be. We just have Pete do this derby. constantly. I'm just saying yeah, like, until like somebody it. proves to me that he can't hit 25 homers every round. I like that idea. He should be in it at all times. I'm never going to get sick of it. Uh, and that's, that's just a point to the event and how, much that has grown over the years that felt stale at one point doesn't anymore at all. Uh, and the all-star game itself, I know it used to matter for something. It used to determine this time. It series. Counts. Yeah. Which right. always seems silly. Right. And I think this year's game kind of proved that it doesn't have to matter for anything. It just matters for bragging rights, but it still matters to see these guys on the field at the same time, seeing Vladimir Guerrero jr. 
slug a, a close to 500 foot home run in the game, not even in the derby, in the game. Seeing him nearly take Max Scherzer's head off, thankfully didn't. Yeah, and then embrace him for that center field angle on that. By the way, there was a shot from right behind Max Scherzer, and it was like the Matrix. Like Max Scherzer got out of the way, and it seemed like there was zero oxygen between that baseball and Max Scherzer's body. Like that was, it looked like special effects. There were also, it. I want, I don't want to call it a Renaissance painting, but there were so many reactions in that one shot. Right. Like if you're looking at Max Scherzer because you want to, because you want to make sure he's going to be okay, even if you've watched the replay five times, to watch Vlad's reaction, (laughs) and he knows immediately off the bat, I may have just killed one of the aces of the National League, Uh, and then that hug I think was as much of a relief for him as it was for Max Scherzer. I think you're absolutely right. Who Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post points out. Max Scherzer doesn't like anybody talking to him during the middle of a game to be embraced <laughs> by an opponent who nearly took his head off. I'm sure was like, he definitely his- seemed Max Scherzer. Vlad went in for the full on hug. Max Scherzer gave him like that awkward one arm, like, all right, get out of here, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for doing this. I know we're in an entertainment product, but please get off my mound immediately. Um, I just loved it. I loved every moment of it. It was so great to see. I, Tyler, you and I were t- talking off mic. We would, almost like to see every moment get its own moment in the sun. Um, it, especially yeah. for us being on the prospect side and, and now being on the pipeline side, which covers both the futures game and the draft extensively um, getting to see both of those things, get their own moments to shine yeah. would have been tremendous. And, and maybe that'll change in the future. We don't have any inside info on that, but uh, it was nice to see the draft folded in and being included and seeing more people pay attention to that. Yeah. Then, perhaps any other time in history. Yeah. Um, but now I think that we know we can get that level of attention. Let's get it to its own day. Yeah, definitely. It's own time definitely. so that everybody can spend the day as we're going to do here in a moment, talking about why did Kumar rocker fall or why did Henry Davis go first overall to the pirates? Yeah. Um, to see all these things, get that attention, knowing that they can now, I think sets up all sorts of possibilities for LA next year and beyond. I am in uh, complete agreement, and we have so much to discuss on this week's episode of the show before the show, and uh, we're going to dive right in. We're going to kick things off with three strikes on this week's episode. We'll be joined by Benjamin Hill coming up here in a little bit. I will not be, but Sam and Ben got a chance to talk, uh, and the uh, the Futures game is strike one for this week's episode of the show before the show. The uh, Futures game shortened to seven innings this year. We'll discuss that. Uh, Sam and I have thoughts, but it was an 8-3 win for the National League Futures who uh, went into the top of the seventh inning throwing a combined one-hit shutout. Uh, They were absolutely brilliant. Matthew Liebertor got the start. He was fantastic in his one inning. um, Max Meyer was out there. Nick Lodolo was out there. Quinn Priester was out there. Cade Cavalli. Um, And these arms, yeah, it was like a little... It's like a little scary if you're the American League of like, oh, this is what the NL has coming. Uh, and then the bats on the other side. Uh, we saw a home run uh, very early on in the game to get things started for the National League in the first inning with one out uh, from a guy who was depositing baseballs all over the place during batting practice. And that was Jose Barrero uh, of the Cincinnati Reds. He was fantastic. Very cool moment for Colorado fans in that. Rockies uh, first round selection from a couple of years ago, Michael Tolia uh, belted a home run, a, a laser beam that got out to center field. He was fantastic. And then really the star of the day and the guy who ended up being named the Larry Doby most valuable player of the day uh, is Chicago Cubs prospect, Brennan Davis, who belted two homers in that win for the national league. The AL came alive, scored three runs uh, in the top of the seventh inning, but they end up falling 
uh, in that contest. Riley Green had a couple of hits. He was the only multi-hit guy uh, for the American League. I was very happy to be able to tell Riley Green that I was the guy that he told about going to bed with his bat uh, when he was in a slump with Double A Erie earlier this season, uh, and he was very excited to have heard that. Uh, and it was just such a cool collection of guys, man. It was it was so fantastic to watch them. Um, you know, watching Spencer Torkelson take batting practice and Adley Rushman take batting practice. Nick Prado looked fantastic. Uh, there were a couple of guys who really impressed me maybe more than anybody else uh, during the batting practice uh, portion of it. And one of them was uh, a guy who I know, Sam, you like a lot. I know New York Mets fans like a lot. Francisco Alvarez was a monster during batting practice. And then, of course, comes in as a pinch hitter, belts a home run for the National League. Uh, He was outstanding. Uh, Nick Prado was another guy uh, on the the BP side who was really, really impressive, a prospect who has been resurgent uh, in his 2021 career. Um, but, you know, watching Julio Rodriguez in the cage and, and Bobby Wood Jr. in the cage and all these guys, um, it was a very fun day. What were the things that stood out most to you from the, the Futures game? The NL really dominated. It ends up only as a five-run win, which it probably was not that close, but a, a fun game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I remember when the rosters came out and when I was doing an FAQ uh, story for MLB.com kind of previewing what to expect from this game and, and just knowing like the AL lineup was going to be loaded and just look at the top of the lineup like Bobby Wood Jr. was their leadoff guy Jared Kilnick second Julio Rodriguez third Adley Rutschman fourth Nick Prado you mentioned his fifth Spencer Torkelson was the number eight hitter which I think LaTroy Hawkins was the AL manager correct Tyler um, I would like to have slipped him a note and just be like you got to get Torkelson higher up there <laughs> Riley Green number seven like I get it somebody's going to fall to eight it's the way it works, but Torkelson should have been batting higher than eighth. Anyways, uh, I knew the AL lineup was loaded, but then you look at the NL side and it, in an exhibition like this, especially one that's only seven innings, if you have the better pitching, you're probably going to win the game. Uh, and especially something like this, when you're trying to get as many pitchers as you can in the game and they only have to throw to two or three batters, like they're going to be flashing some really impressive stuff. You look at who the NL trotted out, for pitching, Libertor handed the ball to Meyer, who handed the ball to Andre Jackson, who handed the ball to Nick Lodolo, to Quinn Priester, to Cade Cavalli. That's five top 100 prospects and your first six guys on the staff. Uh, and Andre Jackson is, Pretty good. is a prospect Pretty in good. his own right. Yeah. Uh, he pitched, pitched a scoreless inning, only gave up one hit. So no matter who you have on the hitting side, if they're going up against that pitching, it's going to be a difficult day at the office. And that's certainly what the AL experienced. So Honestly, if I if I were like looking at odds ahead of the game, I probably would have made the NL the favorite for that reason. It, even if you're playing a game in Coors in which homers are going to fly, if you don't have the pitching, then or if one side has a definitive pitching advantage, something like this is certainly possible. And I think the eight three scoreline didn't really talk to just how dominant the NL was over the AL. Um, but like you said, the NL lineup might not have been as impressive to start the day, but. Brennan Davis can run into balls at any time. It sounds like he didn't have necessarily the batting practice of a Prado or an Alvarez or a Spencer Torkelson, but his power plays in games. Yeah. You're a Cubs fan. And I know you're going through a difficult period right now, potentially trading. Oh, you're fine. You've got a world series. You are fine. Yes. I I know who I'm speaking to here. Yeah. (laughs) As another (laughs) fan of the NL on the other side of the line here, but if you're a Cubs fan and wondering what is this next team going to look like if if you are going to let go of Javi Baez in, in the offseason, then Chris Bryant's going to be traded. Who's the next guy? Brendan Davis is a star. He's a potential star. Definitely. Uh, the guy can run into balls really well. He 
looks huge on the diamond. The, the power is very real. To, so to see it uh, play in the way it did on Sunday, I think was certainly special. And then, like you said, Francisco Alvarez coming in, he, he's had the most impressive batting practice that I've seen. Holy and that cow, was in man. Brooklyn. That wasn't in Coors. He was a monster in batting practice. I believe hit double-digit homers uh, in BP, uh, maybe nine. He might have finished with nine in BP. But just, I mean, they were not cheap either. He does not get cheated on swings. The balls he was launching out of Coors Field were not cheap. Uh, He was was extremely impressive. Yeah, and it's the phrase I keep coming back to with his swing is whip-like. Yeah, like he has as fast hands as you're going to see by anybody. And he just turns on balls and sends them easily to left. Uh, and I know the big question with him is defense. And it's it was quite, kind of unfortunate that he pinch hit and then was at the DH spot for the rest of the game. Because even speaking to him when I was in Brooklyn about what are you working on? He, he brought up defense immediately. He brought up even little things like where do I throw the ball after a strikeout? That's where the kind of the Mets are right now with him is making sure he can be a strong enough defensive catcher to stick at that spot going forward. But um, on a day in which Adley Rutschman was the catcher on the other side, the fact that we are talking mostly about Alvarez here of catchers in the game certainly tells you something. Rutschman is too good of an all around player to get him to work with that AL staff, I think was special, but um, Alvarez certainly didn't hurt his stock on Sunday. And uh, I don't think there really was anybody who specifically hurt their stock. I mean, we talked a lot about the NL pitchers here, but the pitchers who threw the hardest in the game were actually on the AL side. Yeah. Uh, you had Luis Medina, who we actually, well, I, I shouldn't say entirely on the AL side because Kate Cavalli for a time had the most 100 mile an hour pitches in the game. Uh, certainly showing the improved stuff that we saw from him that last year at Oklahoma, it's carried over to the Nats system. He's one of the most electric pitchers in minor league baseball now, but Luis Medina had the hardest thrown pitch in the game at 100.7 miles an hour. Shane Boz continued to show really good stuff and really good command, which has helped him jump to the next level. Uh, so there really was something for everybody in this game, which is exactly the point of it. Uh, and as we hinted at before, you know, it being seven innings was kind of unfortunate just because some of these pitchers I would have liked to have seen for more than two batters, maybe more than even an inning. Uh, this was the first time a game has only gone seven innings two years ago in Cleveland. It was scheduled to go seven, but the game was tied. They went, let it go to an eighth. It was too short. It was too short. I, w- I want to see it go back to nine. We'll see if that ever happens, but um, I'm glad we got to see it. And if you're in the LA area next year, if you're thinking about going to all-star week next year uh, at Dodger stadium, I implore you to go check out this game because it is so unique. It is so special. So many of these guys that we're talking about in the opening weeks of the season to see them compare their talents on one field uh, is always a special event. And this year was yeah. so different. Um, and I feel like this is a good place to slot in something that you and I were talking about before we started recording today. If we had our druthers, as they say, um, I, I think my plan for all-star week would be this. And I think major league baseball has done a very good job of making all-star week into its thing, its own big summer showcase, because there's really nothing going on, uh, outside of this year, of course, when the NBA finals are going on, which is not a, a normal thing schedule wise. And presumably that'll go back to normal and be in June, uh, in 2022 to me, put the draft first round on Sunday, 
uh, as it was this year, but then slot everything back a day, put the futures game on Monday, have the futures game get its own day, especially because right now we're in the make it major phase. We're in the, let the kids play phase. When you want to be able to promote all of these young guys who are coming up, the Julio Rodriguez is and the Spencer Torkelson's and you know, the Brennan Davis's uh, of the world, give them their own spotlight. Um, and the fact that you have it on a, a Sunday afternoon when the major leagues and minor leagues are both playing is kind of a drawback, uh, I think, to the Futures game. So make it nine innings, put it on Monday, put the Derby on Tuesday, put the All-Star game on Wednesday. Thursday, you can have an off day to travel. Uh, over Friday, you could have an off day to travel as well. And I don't want to take credit for this idea because I saw somebody else, uh, a national writer, I can't remember who now, had proposed this. But then make the weekend, a two-game interleague series of some kind. And then you make it not only a full all-star week, but you make it a real break for these guys. Um, and that, I think, is very important and it's very cool. There's also just something that feels fitting about Sunday night, we're kicking this thing off with the future of baseball, and that is the first round of the MLB draft. Give that its own thing. That's kind of how a draft feels. Have it at nighttime, have it on a Sunday. People are getting home. They're getting ready for the work week the next day, whatever it is. Make that its own event. Give that its own spotlight. And then you can promote the Monday festivities with the Futures game as, hey, you see those guys who all got taken yesterday? These guys were all taken or were signed in similar circumstances just a couple of years ago. And now look how friggin' good they are. Um, that to me, I think would be very cool. Sunday draft, Monday Futures game, Tuesday Derby, Wednesday All-Star game, and then figure out the, the start of the major league schedule uh, for the second half beyond that. Um, it was a fantastic week here. Uh, but I think it's very cool that Major League Baseball has been uh, pretty amenable to kind of changing and being uh, fluid with how All-Star Week should look uh, because you can tell there is really such an emphasis on this is our showcase jewel event in the summer. Let's figure out a way to make it the best possible thing. Uh, and I, I think that'd be really cool going forward. So not that anybody's listening to me or my opinions, but, uh, you know, Sunday, I didn't even, when I was explaining all the cool things I got to do this week. I didn't even mention the draft and Sunday night got to hang out uh, inside the Belco theater and the uh, convention center complex here in Denver for round number one of the draft, uh, which was pretty awesome. The uh, major league baseball first year draft, of course, this year, starting off with a bit of a surprise uh, in that the Pittsburgh Pirates went with Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville, uh, with the first overall selection, Jack Leiter, who was in the running for that, went second overall to the Texas Rangers. Uh, then it was high school right-hander Jackson Job, who went third overall to the Detroit Tigers. Marcelo Meyer, who is a guy that people thought potentially was going to be 1-1, the high school shortstop. He goes to the Boston Red Sox at number four. Colton Kowser, the outfielder to the Orioles at five. Uh, Jordan Lawler, another potential 1-1 discussion point. Earlier this year, he went to the D-backs at six. Uh, Frank Mozzicato, the Kansas City Royals, kind of surprised people taking the left-hander uh, with the seventh overall selection. The Rockies went with high school outfielder Benny Montgomery uh, at number eight. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, they took Sam Bachman, a right-handed pitcher at number nine, and we will talk about what the Angels did in this draft. Uh, and then Kumar Rocker, probably the, the second biggest name or maybe the biggest name uh, in this draft class, he went at number 10 to the New York Mets. Um, and then Brady House, the shortstop, went at number 11. He was another very high pick selection discussion, and he goes uh, 11th overall. So the the first round, I think, in a lot of ways, was as surprising as it could have been, Sam. Um, and from the, the Pirates' perspective, you end up going in and 
grabbing, you know, the, the top selection in the draft in Henry Davis. Uh, then you get a guy who is a potential, um, you know, two-way kind of guy, Bubba Chandler, uh, who is recruited to play quarterback at Clemson uh, and now is not going to be going there. Um, you get a uh, another potential college football player in a Penn State wide receiver commit in Lonnie White. Um, you also get uh, a dude who is a fantastic uh, high school arm in Anthony Solomedo. They took him in the second round to get that day started. Um, the Pirates loaded up. The Angels took essentially – every available pitcher when they could pick the angels took a billion pitchers. Um, there were some really interesting takes on this draft. Uh, your thoughts on, on the 2021 major league draft. Yeah. I mean, it was always going to be a unique draft in terms of the fact that it is our first July draft. This has never been done before. It was also the first time that a draft has been 20 rounds. It used to be 40 last year was only five because of the pandemic. Now we're at 20. We'll see if it's going to land here going forward. I don't know if any decisions have been made there yet, but 20 rounds this year, uh, which allowed the Angels to go 20 for 20 in terms of taking pitchers, which was, I don't think anybody would have seen that coming. I think the Cleveland Indians also took 19 pitchers, something like that. So, you know, you if the moniker is draft the best player available and you keep seeing pitchers at the top of your board, you just keep doing that and you'll fill the in the other holes later. Um, obviously baseball is not a sport in which everything is derived from the draft. There's the international market, there's trades, there's free agent signings to be made. There's all sorts of ways you can fill out rosters. So the idea of going 20 for 20 sounds crazy. And it's certainly a headline grabbing move, but, um, the angels will be just fine in terms of filling out rosters. We'll have to check back on this 2021 class in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, just, it felt Surprising in many ways, you, you said Henry Davis going 1-1 was a bit of a surprise to, to the Pirates, but not that much if you were following the drafts fairly closely. Henry Davis was the top position player prospect out of college this year, really special bat out of Louisville. The big question for him is, can he catch uh, the arms plus plus? They have to figure out some other things in terms of framing, in terms of his defensive work. Sounds like he's grown last the last year in that department seems like the pirates are comfortable with where he's at my theory. And this is, I don't know if this is anything they discussed in the room, but if the automated strike zone is coming to major league baseball at some point, Henry Davis is a significantly better prospect. Somebody who can certainly sling it from back there. He can already hit. He could probably hit well enough to be at any position on the diamond. Now, all of a sudden, if you take out framing and, and the point of that, he's even better than that. So Maybe that's something the Pirates thought of. I'm not sure. It's not. It's certainly not something they brought up themselves, but just something to keep in mind there uh, for me. But Henry Davis was at least in the conversation there at 1-1. Uh, we'll see what his signing bonus is going to be. That certainly is a factor in all of this as well. Uh, but yeah, the biggest surprise to me in that those first 10 picks was Frank Mazzucato going seventh overall to the Royals. Uh, he was ranked number 39 overall, uh, according to MLB Pipeline. Certainly had narrow up next to his name. He's pitching out of East Catholic High School in Manchester, Connecticut, which just so happens to be where my mom grew up. So I was following Mazzucato pretty closely. Our own Josh Jackson did stories on Frank Mazzucato this spring and how he threw four straight no-hitters uh, for East Catholic. So he had a lot of people going to see him. The velocity was a little bit of a question, but there's tons of projectability there. Six foot three already. If you're the Royals, you look at his curveball, you think that's really, really good as is. We might not have to touch that. And if he's 
getting into the lower 90s now and as he matures, if we think he can get into the mid 90s or high 90s, maybe he ends up being the top left-handed pitcher in this draft. He was certainly selected as such. Uh, so we're going to keep a close eye on his development there in the Kansas City system. The other attention-grabbing one, well, there were two, was was uh, Meyer falling to four at the Red Sox. I know Boston was overly enthused that he got there. I don't think they expected that. Um, they certainly scouted him like he was a potential number one overall pick or at least a top three pick. Uh, but when Davis went one, Leiter went two, which was no surprise to the Rangers. And J Jackson Job went three to the Tigers, the Tigers deciding – we think he's the best pitcher in this draft, maybe outside of lighter, but still a high school right-hander. Those guys aren't normally taken this high unless they have really special stuff. Tigers obviously see something they can work with in Job. So once they took him, the Red Sox, I'm sure were tripping over themselves to get to the phone and call about, about Meyer. Uh, sounds like a, a really special offensive player. The comp I kept seeing, I'm not a huge fan of comps, um, but was Corey Seager offensively, and Brandon Car Crawford defensively. Uh, so anybody who's watched the NOS, Tyler, you have good experience with this. That's a that's a fearsome comparison and combination. If you get a potential gold glover at the six and somebody who can be a really special hitter from the left side, uh, the, my, the Red Sox might have somebody really special in Meyer at number four. And then Kumar Rocker falling to the Mets at number 10 already reports out there that the Mets have come to an agreement with him for a signing bonus around $6 million. That's well above slot, which was 4.7 million. Uh, Kumar Rocker coming into this year, arguably the best prospect in this draft. His velocity really fluctuated, but the breaking stuff is special, might be the best breaking stuff in the entire draft. The slider is really good. He gets lots of swing and misses outside of the zone. What happens when he starts to face pro hitters that aren't gonna be swinging and missing at pitches outside the zone? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but I think that's a really good matchup there between the Mets and Rocker, the Mets are trying to really invest in that system, build it up, make it even more special on top of Alvarez, who we already talked about, Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mart, Mauricio. Uh, Matt Allen is injured this year, but he's a special pitcher as well. The Mets have a chance to have a really good system. Adding Rocker to that pile is huge for them. Uh, and the fact that he dropped there, I think teams were legitimately concerned about what his velocity was and what is it going to be as he starts to pitch 100 plus innings, 120, 140. What is that velocity going to be like? But if you're the Mets, you get the number six overall prospect in the draft at number 10. That's a, that's a pretty good situation for them. Um, but like always, we have to say with this draft, we're not going to know what looked good and what didn't look good years from now. We can kind of sit back and play armchair draft analyst right now and say, here's what teams should have done. But if Frank Mazzucato looks like the best left-hander in this draft a couple of years ago, and the Royals really did see something, then we're the ones who are going to look bad now, or we're going to be the ones who look bad in a couple of years, not the Royals. Um, so it, it was fascinating to see all the surprises come through, but that only made this draft class all the more fascinating. Strike three this week, Sam. We got some very cool news uh, in minor league baseball, which is that the AAA season here in 2021 will not end on September 19th in the AAA East and September 21st in AAA West as uh, scheduled. The regular season will still end then, but there will be more baseball to come after the conclusion of the regular season here in 2021. Back in the early stages of planning for the minor league season in 2021, uh, obviously with the pandemic still raging and we are by no means going to be, oh, well, pandemic's over, so blah, blah, blah. Um, 
still need to get vaccinated and you still need to do all the right things. So, so please, all of you who have not yet done so, uh, take the time. Uh, but we, uh, despite the fact that at the beginning of the season, we were anticipating no playoffs across minor league baseball. We now will have playoffs across minor league baseball. And even though there will not be traditional playoffs in AAA, there will now be what is being called in 2021, the AAA final stretch, which means that both AAA East and AAA West teams will get a chance to play an additional 10 games following the conclusion of the regular regular season in a two-week postseason format. Uh, it's not going to be exactly a head-to-head type of thing. It will be head-to-head based on winning percentage, but it's not like a bracket. It's not going to lead its way into a championship game, all of that. Uh, but the champion will be crowned uh, in AAA East and AAA West based on overall winning percentage. Um, this is very cool. I'm very excited about the fact that we're getting postseason baseball back uh, at the minor league level. Minor league playoffs, we've talked about a whole lot over the last few years and kind of what they mean or what they don't mean. But this year we're just all starved for baseball, man. We're all starved for, for fun. And uh, I'm very excited that we've got something like this coming up. Yeah. And it is kind of refreshing to get something new, uh, follow something new and and see how it's going to work out. I don't know if it's going to stick. I don't think so. I, I would love to see the AAA national championship come back obviously, but this feels like a good way of making the last two weeks of the season enticing uh, in some way, it's it's a good way for minor league teams to get five more home games each. That that's certainly something we want to see and recoup a little bit more money. And uh, especially with the major league season going into October, this is a way of keeping AAA teams active, keeping guys at that top level around, and still playing meaningful games in case they need to be called up in the final two weeks of the season. Um, so it, it it feels a little bit like a win win. Uh, we'll we'll see how it's going to work out, but I do really like this format in terms of you play five games one week, you play five weeks, five games the next week, and just see who's going to have the most wins. And there's going to be one champion at AAA. There's going to be a regular season champion at AAA East and a regular season champion at AAA West, but there's only going to be one champion across the entire level uh, of the AAA final stretch. Uh, there are some tiebreakers involved. Regular season record is going to be that first tiebreaker. Head-to-head record is the second one, and on and on and on. You can check out the stories on MLB and MILB.com about it for more info. Uh, but I, let, that final game of the, the final stretch could be really interesting. You could have two teams with eight wins, say, uh, and you know one needs to win and, and follow what the other team is doing. It kind of reminds me of, for anybody who follows European soccer, like the last day of the Premier League season when you are trying to follow what other teams are doing at the same time you're playing to know if you clinched a spot in the champions league, or if you clinched the title or what have you um, bring that level of excitement to baseball is something new to us. It, it, we'll see how it's going to work out, but um, new isn't bad. And, and I think uh, trying this out, we'll see how it's going to work out in the, the latter half of September and a little bit into October, but uh, I'm excited now to see how this is going to work out. And it's, it's going to be good to, have meaningful games for all of these teams. It's it's not like some teams are going to pack up and go home. Every team is going to play a meaningful game uh, there during this final stretch. So keep an eye on that. We'll certainly be talking about it more as we approach the middle of September. And that'll do it for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. I was uh, busy trying to wake up. And so I missed your conversation with Ben this morning. Sam, tell us all about what's coming up with Ben Hill. Yeah. I mean, Ben is back on the road. That is Fantastic. huge. Fantastic. We, we love to see it. I miss Ben very much. I, just getting to see him once last week was great. Uh, and then he went and left for the American South, which leaving me behind here in Brooklyn. But uh, I couldn't be happier to talk to him over the phone like this. Uh, we got him in Hickory. Uh, he had just visited the Crawdads 
on Wednesday night. He's going to Kannapolis next, but he's made various stops. So this is me talking to Ben on the road once again in 2003. Finding the perfect gift for your family members can be a struggle. Our family hasn't been able to get together for quite a while now, so I felt like the pressure was really on. Luckily, I found the perfect way to bring us all together safely. At PaintYourLife.com, you get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect and receive it in about three weeks. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word PODCAST to 64000. That's PODCAST to 64000. Text PODCAST to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com terms. Again, text PODCAST to 64000. Well, we welcome back to the show and... Uh... I want to say th this is going to be our big guest this week because it is such a big deal to us. We've talked about it in the, the last couple of weeks about what this means. And uh, we're joined on this sh show this week by Benjamin Hill, normally on the show each week. But this week, it's Ben's Biz on the road. I want you to picture on the road, all caps, underlined, italicized, bolded, the whole thing. It's a huge thing that we have Ben back on the road, obviously. It's, it's such a great sign of what tw 2021 is and can be. Um, but Ben is joining us currently from the Hickory area. Ben, how are you doing? It's so good to have you now over the phone. I know we were just in person last week, but to have you on the road talking to us over the wire like this means something special. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. After all those uh, Zoom interviews where we were each in our respective apartments and then we finally met in the office last week and now uh, things change again and back on the road. I'm in Hickory, North Carolina in a hotel lobby. It's a very large hotel lobby. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know what you call it, art, I suppose. <laughs> There's like some spherical, wiry balls um, on like artificial grass in this lobby. A whole lot of spheres. There's a spherical theme in this uh, hotel lo lobby. It's uh, Hickory Crown Plaza. Come spend the night in Hickory, North Carolina if you ever have the opportunity to, such as to see a minor league baseball game. Which is what you've done a good amount of in the, in the last week. Um, we've talked a little bit in the past couple shows about previewing the, this road trip. Now you've started it officially. Uh, you began in Tennessee seeing the Smoky, or no, you began in Chattanooga, excuse me. You started in Chattanooga to see the Chattanooga lookouts. We'll touch on that here in a bit. You moved over to Rocket City, your first time seeing the Trash Pandas, then over to Tennessee to see the Smokies. Uh, and then now over to Hickory, you've got one more stop in Kannapolis. Um, so let's start there at the beginning in Chattanooga, because as we've discussed previously, you've been to Chattanooga, but you had never officially seen a full lookouts game. You finally got that opportunity last Friday at AT&T Field. Um, what stood out to you about that and, and finally getting to experience game day uh, with the lookouts? Yeah, it was great. I mean, one, just to be back on the road for the first time since 2019, I, in almost two years since I was on the road. And yeah, I'd had a little problems with Chattanooga in the past, uh, which is why I was happy to start this road trip in Chattanooga. I went through some rainouts in previous years, some scheduling snafus. And so finally to get there, it turned out to be a beautiful summer night. 
start my road trip there, finally see a complete, full, official minor league baseball game at uh, AT&T Field. It all came together nicely. And now that you did see a game there, like what stood out to you about the experience? We'll touch on one character you talked to at the ballpark here in a second. Um, but, you know, actually getting to see fans there, actually, actually getting to see play on the field, how was this different from your uh, previous trips to Chattanooga? Well, yeah, just seeing a baseball game. Um, it's an interesting uh, minor league ballpark. It was built in 2000, and uh, but it incorporates more of the architectural styles and motifs i think you'd find more in the 80s and 90s you know where the concourse is behind the field of play you have to go down the stairs and uh or down a ramp and you know it's removed from the game so it's kind of a tight space it feels like an older ballpark but there's a lot of good energy there uh great to finally see a game i mean and as we've talked you know we've talked about every team on the show before the show podcast but uh chattanooga lookouts have i believe the longest running name in all of minor league baseball, at least since its first appearance in any capacity, 1885. And uh, in most seasons since 1885, you know, there's been a team called the Chattanooga Lookouts in Chattanooga. So there's obviously a great baseball history in that town, uh, great baseball tradition. And I think you can just feel that being at the ballpark, that you're in a community that has known minor league baseball. Every fan has known minor league baseball for their entire lives uh, via the Chattanooga Lookouts. And I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a unique experience, especially with some of the teams we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but one of my favorite things that you do when you get on the road, and these are things you you can only do if you are at the ballpark. Anybody can write about a game, watch a box score, something like that. But you get to know the characters, the people who are famous in their towns, in their communities uh, while you are there. And one that stood out to me, you did a story on this for MILB.com, was about Wanda the Program Lady. Um, somebody who is so famous that she got her own bobblehead a couple of years ago. Uh, but it seems like everybody in Chattanooga knows Wanda, the program lady. Uh, programs have, have changed a little bit, uh, but what what is she doing in 2021 and what makes her so famous around Chattanooga? Yeah, you know, anytime I go to a ballpark, I want to highlight the uh, unique ballpark characters. And I've written about, you know, beloved game day employees through the years. And uh, I'm not just saying this because it's fresh in my mind, but I would I would posit, I would uh, say that Wanda, the program lady, a woman named Wanda Goins in Chattanooga, might be the most popular game day employee in all of minor league baseball in terms of the amount she is recognized and beloved by the team. She's been with the team for 32 years, always selling programs. Um, AT&T Field is, you know, at the top of the hill. Chattanooga is a very hilly city in general. So it's just this tradition of the game that as you're making your way up the hill and, you know, via stair or escalator, however you're getting, you're getting there, the first thing you hear is Wanda the program lady, you know, get your programs here. And, uh, you know, she's got this uh, very recognizable voice. How she sells the programs has changed through the years. Um, I think they started at a dollar and they went down to 25 cents. So a lot of fans still just think of Wanda saying 25 cents. And now they're actually free because like a lot of teams, uh, the lookout switched to digital programs uh, heading into 2021. I'm not sure if that's a temporary change or not. So now there's no programs to sell, but the team knew that Wanda is so beloved you can't not have Wanda the program lady. So now she's still in the same location, right at the front entrance, still selling programs, but not really selling them. She's holding up 
a pair of mini bats and taped to the mini bats are signs with a QR code. So now the spiel is scanned for your program. So people come right up to Wanda, take out their phones, scan the QR code on the sign she's holding up. And it's still, you know, your first experience uh, at a lookouts game is walking through the gate and interacting with Wanda and uh, on MILB.com. The story went up yesterday. I mean, it's just amazing. The reception, this story got, you know, mostly locally, um, you know, the you know the team put it on their Facebook page, and uh, just to see the number of people sharing it, just saying we love Wanda. I mean, I think she literally is the most popular woman in Chattanooga, and it's so cool that her popularity and the reason she's beloved is tied in with baseball. I just think it's a it's a really great thing, and she's been doing it as I said, 32 years. Started working for the team at their old home of Engel Stadium. Her first gig was working at Jimmy Buffett concert at Engel Stadium in 1990. She got offered to uh, work a job you know, for the team after that, took tickets for a couple of months. Then they asked her to do programs, and, and the rest is history. Yeah, and, and I just love how organic that love is for her. You were talking before uh, to me about, you know, go check out the Chattanooga Lookouts Facebook page and just see how much love there is for her and how that kind of pours in. And, and to see that come, you know, again, it's cool that she had a bobblehead, but this is not something that's been produced by the team, something anybody's forcing out. It wholly comes from her personality and the way that shines through at the ballpark every time there's a lookouts game. Uh, so I, I highly recommend everybody check out that story on MILB.com about Wanda, the program lady. Uh, ben, moving over from Chattanooga, which you've been to a, a few times, but never actually got to see a game at, to Rocket City, which is – Technically a brand new team in 2021. We've talked about this plenty in the past, about how we knew the Rocket City Trash Pandas were coming for a long time. Uh, but now we actually get to see them play in 2021 for the first time. So you got to travel over to the Huntsville area to see Toyota Field uh, for the first time. What were your first impressions? Yeah, Madison, Alabama, just... Uh... You know, adjacent to Huntsville, certainly part of the greater Huntsville area. They're representing Rocket City and Huntsville's uh, association with NASA and the aeronautical industry. And uh, this is a far cry from the Huntsville's area's previous baseball team, the Huntsville Stars at Joe Davis Stadium. You know, this is a brand new ballpark, Madison, Alabama. Uh, didn't get to poke around too much, but, um, you know, this is a town that is developing very fast and the, the team the rocket city trash pandas is part of this surrounding the ballpark is all sorts of housing development still a lot of construction like a lot of new ballparks you kind of have to fill in the blanks in your mind what it could be in a couple of years in terms of the larger scene the larger area speaking of jimmy buffett you know wanda the program lady who worked her uh, first um, gig with the lookouts uh, you know at a jimmy buffett concert and now here, Rocket City Trash Pandas, there is a Margaritaville restaurant being uh, built right outside the ballpark. So Jimmy Buffett's tentacles are expanding into minor league baseball <laughs> at a rate I hadn't realized. Or maybe they've always been there. You know, the parrot heads are everywhere. They are everywhere. Uh, but, yeah, there's going to be a Margaritaville out there. <laughs> they are. Uh, a lazy river tied in with that. So there's a lot more coming. But regardless, the ballpark is done. The Trash Pandas are finally playing after the 2020 season. I wasn't. Uh, I was there Saturday and Sunday. Sunday got rained out. Still spent a couple hours there and talked to a lot of people. But Saturday, you know, great weather, 7,000 people, fireworks. And it reminded me of other new ballparks I've been to in recent years, particularly I think the Amarillo Sod Poodles were a community that 
had never really experienced minor league baseball in this way with a new brand and a new ballpark is just head over heels with the whole experience. The amount of people wearing trash pandas gear is just immense. And the team store is doing incredible amounts of business and the fans were really into the game. I mean, really locked into the balls and strikes and what, what the home team was doing. So there was the kind of energy at a minor league ballpark that you might not often see. Because as you know, even when there's a good crowd a lot of times in minor league baseball, the fans might not be totally locked in on the game with so much else going on. But uh, it was a great mix of a lot of entertainment, a lot of fun, a lot of good energy, new ballpark fans that were locked in and uh you know i talked to a lot of people over the two days i was there and it was great to uh, get to a new ballpark number 178 of my career finally uh, got a new one after a couple of years off yeah yeah that was certainly exciting to see you take that off and and especially some of the the videos that you were sharing uh, of toyota field and and like you said how locked in everybody is because this is an area that used to have the huntsville stars and the huntsville stars didn't draw very well at the end that there's a reason why they moved out of town, but to see the area really embrace the trash pandas, as funny as that name sounds, uh, has been something to see. And to see that from ground level through what you were sharing on your Twitter page at Ben's Biz uh, was really something special. And, you know, we talked about a ballpark character in Chattanooga. I want to touch on one real quick here in Rocket City because I had never seen this before. I don't think you've ever seen this before. They have a mobile barbershop on the concourse at the Rocket City Stadium. Uh, you got to talk to Kevin DeBarber. That's a, a story that will be coming to MILB.com, so we don't have to get too far into it. I want people to check out and read that story. Uh, but what it what it, was that like just to see something that unique at a ballpark? And you know, what do you think that brings out uh, to the stadium experience? Well, you know, I'm always looking for unique things, and uh, the Trash Pandas new ballpark is great. But the ballpark itself, you know, follows a pretty similar architectural style to a lot of other new ballparks so i'm always you know poking around saying what is what makes this one really different and you know of course there's things that make every ballpark unique and so i'm doing my initial lap of the concourse and i'm talking to uh aaron the uh, trash pandas media relations director and he says oh yeah over there we got a barber shop and it was just like what okay i got a story i gotta i gotta see what this <laughs> is about and it's just a local entrepreneur a guy named kevin thomas he goes by kevin Dubarber, barber d-a Barber, Kevin the Barber. And um, you know, he owns a shop in Huntsville. He has started the Global Barber Federation with mobile units around the general area and he's always looking to expand that. So when he heard about this team coming, he approached the team, he approached city officials, he attended the groundbreaking and uh said, Hey, I wanna put a barber shop on the concourse and uh you know, ended up talking to the team and you know they, they worked out the details, and so now on the concourse in the left field area, there is this mobile unit barbershop. You've got a waiting area with uh, you know, a game console and places to sit down, and uh, the barbershop itself is a you know, very tight space but very nice, uh, you know, a full-on barber chair. Uh, he's got running water in his setup, of course, full power, uh, mirrors all around. And uh, he said he's cut – when I was there, he said he's cut 55 um, – He's, he's done 55 haircuts so far, and that number will expand. I think he realizes that when people come to a game, right now it's about getting word out that this is something you can do, you know, a hot dog, a beer, and a haircut uh, at the game. And it's just one of those unique things. Like, who would have thought? You know, I, I've seen people get their haircuts at minor league games before. 
usually a sponsorship with a local supercuts or something where they come out for a certain night, but to have a standalone barbershop every single day uh, at the ballpark, you know, via a local businessman is something definitely unique, something I've never seen before. And I hope it's successful. And uh, Kevin DeBarber, Kevin Thomas, he's uh, from Birmingham originally. And uh, I think he's trying to work with the Barons to do it there. And who knows, you know, maybe this uh, idea will expand outwards a little further. I think it depends on, you know, the average fan and how likely they are to want to get a haircut at a game. But I think if you make it fun, you make it memorable, you make it something that, uh, you know, tell, is a story. You know, people want stories, you know. Hey, where'd you get your haircut? Oh, at the Trash Pandas game. I mean, that's pretty cool. So I hope he's really successful with it. And, yeah, I got a story about him coming up really soon, uh, either tomorrow, Friday, or certainly early next week. Yeah, and, and one of my favorite things that you just pointed out there is, so much of minor league baseball is something catches on somewhere and then you ask, is this replicable elsewhere? Can the, can other teams do this? And literally everybody needs a haircut at some point. Uh, so the idea that other teams can't take this on and bring another unique experience to the ballpark um, that maybe the other sports can't do uh, is something really special. So I hope that does catch on and spread around. Um, from Rocket City, you traveled, you had a, a little bit of an epic travel day going all the way to see the Tennessee Smokies uh, again, another team you you visited before, but what stood out to you from your time, uh, you know, around the Kodak, Tennessee area, and specifically when it comes to your designated eaters from that area, um, because that is something we always have to talk about when you get on the road again, is your designated eaters, people who eat for you. You can't have uh, things with gluten in them, so that's a lot of things at the ballpark. Um, but between your time in Tennessee and maybe even before that, um, what stood out about the designated eater experience, but especially there in Kodak? Yeah, you know, uh, it's great to meet with designated eaters again. It's weird to be to think that I've done that for almost a decade now, is recruiting people to eat ballpark food and documenting the experience. It's a neat little subculture that's developed around that. Met with a woman named Katie Holloway in uh, Chattanooga. And, uh, you know, the pretty basic operation there food-wise, but we just had a lot of fun with chicken fingers and burgers and uh, Philly cheesesteak sandwich and Rocket City. Of course, that's a big story in and of itself about the food they have, embracing a trash theme, even in the concessions. You know, they have dumpster wraps and one of their uh, main concession areas is the dumpster dive. And uh, so a lot of great food there. And then in Tennessee, it was a guy, a, a local historian, baseball historian named Mark Aubrey, and uh, in Kodak, Tennessee, or is it Sevierville? I still cannot figure out exactly what town I'm in, whether it's Sevierville or Kodak, but the Tennessee Smokies, Smoky Mountain region, uh, right outside of Knoxville. Um, it was great to be there on, uh, what night was that? Tuesday night. And uh, met with designated eater Mark Aubrey, got a uh, breakfast slider, which was a uh, Swaggerty's, that's a local sausage brand, Swaggerty's sausage patty, um, on a Krispy Kreme donut bun. Got a boomstick, which is like a foot-long Swaggerty sausage, slathered in nacho cheese and jalapeno and chili and who knows what else. Uh, some Bush's baked beans, like loaded tater tots. Um, I know Bush's, you know, had or maybe still has a full-on minor league baseball sponsorship. But when I was driving yesterday, I saw a sign for like Bush's baked beans headquarters. So it made sense why maybe uh, Tennessee Smokies have their own uh, standalone Bush's Baked Beans concession stands because they're in the heart of Bush's Baked Beans country. And uh, you learn those little things on the road. Just like when I was in Chattanooga, there's a lot of cast iron uh, or lodge cast iron skillet advertisements. Uh, I guess it's a big cast iron country there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like picking up these little things and trying to contextualize it and trying to figure out 
if and how it, it, it ties into the ballpark experience. Well, now I want a cast iron giveaway at, at the ball. Just everybody walking in, just getting these big skillets as they come in. Maybe that wouldn't end well. I don't know. But maybe you give away five or something like that to, to lucky fans. I don't know. I, as somebody who's always wanted a cast iron skillet and doesn't have one, uh, the idea of a giveaway at a ballpark uh, is something I, I would very much enjoy if the, if the Chattanooga Lookouts ever want to do that. Uh, ben, wrapping up what you've been able to do so far, like we said at the top of this segment, you're currently in the Hickory area. You just wrapped up a visit to the Hickory Crawdads, uh, which featured one of the liveliest um, heckling sections, I think, I've ever seen in minor league baseball. You've certainly seen your fair share of hecklers, uh, but this one was unique in, in some of the things they were doing, and you even said there's like a code of conduct involved with joining this heckling se- section, which is is pretty nice to see, I got to say. Uh, but overall, what stood out to you from your visit to the Hickory Crawdads last night? Well, that was certainly part of it. I, I love dedicated fan groups, you know, dedicated to uh, you know, cheering on the home team and uh, and razzing the opposition. And uh, so in Section 108, they have a guy named Mega Man, and he's got a megaphone or and a um, bunch of signs and Mega Man and his minions and his minions has signs and they engage in chants. And uh, I know probably a lot of people listening to this podcast are familiar. If they're familiar with any notable minor league baseball fan, it's uh, West Virginia Power's Toast Man. You know, the Power are unfortunately not an affiliated team anymore, but the Toast Man in West Virginia was so well known for, you know, a guy strikes out and he would, he had, he had a toaster at his, uh, at his seat at, at West Virginia Power Games and would throw toast into the crowd when an opposing player struck out and say, you're toast. Anyway, I bring up the Toast Man because I'm talking to Mega Man in Hickory last night, and that's his inspiration. You know, when we talk about music, you know, or if it's music journalism, you might say, you know, who are your inspirations and influences? The same goes for hecklers. And Mega Man saw the Toast Man and said, that's what I want to do. I want to be the Toast Man of Hickory, North Carolina. So he set up a, you know, he took a lot of inspiration from Toast Man, has a lot of signs, has a lot of unique traditions. And one thing they're really big on is when the opposing team strikes out, they count the number of steps the player then takes to the dugout during his uh, quote-unquote walk of shame. And so they're really into this. Mega Man hands out cards all over Section 108, uh, which is the over and under of how many strikes or how many steps that player will take to get to the uh, to back to the. Uh, his bench back to the dugout. So before a player bats, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll set the over or under fans will hold up these signs with an arrow up saying they think it'll be more steps than that or down saying it'll be less. They get really excited about opposing strikeouts after two strikes. They have their own little rituals getting ready. And then if the guy strikes out mega man's on his megaphone and they're counting the steps of the opposing player back to the dugout. And uh, if you pick the over, you pick the under, you know, you don't get a prize, but you get the satisfaction of uh, having guessed correctly in terms of how many steps will, it will take. So they brought a lot of energy. And it was fun spending a few innings with them because I'm always running around talking to people. I kind of missed the game. So to spend like two, three innings, you know, right there, right behind home plate, first, second row with this uh, dedicated cheering group, it was like, oh, yeah, baseball. And uh, I think that's a great thing about fan groups. Um, who are really into the game is you really get locked into the game. You start to get to know the players. And if you keep it in good fun, don't be too tasteless. Don't be too mean spirited. Um, it just puts you so much more in touch with the game itself. And I think we all need that sometimes. I do at least doing what I do. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, 
that's one of the great things about minor league baseball is that there are so many things happening at the ballpark beyond just the game. But sometimes you need that touchstone that's going to bring you right back to what's happening on the diamond, keep you locked in. Uh, so that's that is kind of special, even if it's heckling, even if it's something like this, some uh, lighthearted ribbing. Hopefully it stays lighthearted. I will say that. Uh, but I, I do enjoy that. And um, again, hearing stories coming from you from the road and, and finding things that you're only going to see at the ballpark is special. You have one final uh, destination on this trip. You're heading to Kannapolis. You'll be there tonight on Thursday when we're recording this. You'll also be there Friday, part of your usual plan to be at a new ballpark for two nights, just in case something happens. Um, and we'll, we'll touch more on that next week about your experiences there and your uh, first impressions, but we'll end on this note, Ben, just what does it feel like to be on the road again? Because normally when we were talking to you about this back in 2017, 18, 19, uh, even going further back than that, it was always, okay, I get on the road. Things are hectic. There's so much to do so much to take in. Uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming and I could see that going either way right now. It's that you haven't been on the road in, in two years for obvious reasons. It, it can be very overwhelming that everything's, happening but at the same time it can be pretty sweet to have so many things happening again after you know there were no road trips there were no games to be played in 2020 um so just describe for people what has it been like to just simply be back on the road again here in 2021 i mean it's awesome and uh, i missed it and uh you know it's a process it is overwhelming i do struggle with uh, you know, finding the time to to write and uh, get the material out in a timely matter. Um, there's just so many logistics to take care of all the time. Uh, there, there's all these little road trip indignities. Like last night, I, it's it's hard to find a place to eat after the game, especially when you're gluten free. I end up at a Sheets, you know, convenience store, and I like get some nachos, and it's like already like getting on midnight somehow. And I get back to the hotel, and I my key doesn't work and I'm walking around the perimeter of the hotel, trying all these different doors, trying to get in. And I finally get to the front desk and the guy's on the phone and I'm standing there like, can I just get in my room with my gas station nachos by 1230 so I can do maybe some kind of work until I pass out at like two 30. And then I got to go somewhere else the next day. Oh no. I only bring that up to say it's stressful and all that, but I kind of love it. I even love that sort of stuff. I love being in all these new places. I love, uh, having the days be so long and so anomalous and so unique to the place that I'm in and uh, meeting people every day and being in new ballparks every day and being in a car and just driving around and seeing new parts of the country and on and on and on. That means a lot. And to not have done it at all in 2020 for obvious reasons and that minor league baseball gets restructured and there's all kinds of changes, you know, all over the minor and major league baseball landscape and wondering how that affects my job. And if I'll get out there again, I became a dad in February and it's the first time I'm leaving you know, my family behind most of the time doing this job. Uh, for the most part, I was single. Um, you know, there's just been so many changes. And then they get out there and be like, oh, I can do it again. I'm here. I'm doing it. So, uh, you know, I bring up like some of the hassles just to say I embrace them because it's all part of the process. It all works out big picture. And uh, to be, be able to bring these kind of niche, quirky, weirdo minor league baseball stories to people and, uh, you know, have people respond favorably and feel like in a way it's a service to people who care about this kind of thing to tell the stories of the teams themselves. I think it's really important. And I, I take a lot of pride in it. And I feel like it is a great responsibility. And I hope I'm doing an okay job with it but man i do get stressed out but i wouldn't give it up 
I'm so glad I'm back out here. Can't wait to get back out on the road again. I think I have some smaller trips, uh, you know, taking place uh, throughout maybe later this month and in August. And uh, looking forward to do this as long as I can. Yeah, well, well, two things I want to say. One is I think we need to get you a Sheets sponsorship or something of the equivalent then if you're going to be getting Sheets <laughs> yeah. nachos at, at 1230 every night. Um, but the second thing is it's just great to follow even from afar. I, I know you've had a lot of fans in your mentions just saying, hey, it's great to see you out there again. It's great to get the subversive uh, ballpark jokes of the day back in our feeds again. Uh, no longer on Vine, but now on Twitter. Uh, there's just so much that's great about this experience to see from a third hand, uh, perspective and to see that you are also enjoying being back out there makes it all the more special. So it's great to have you back out there, Ben. I I do miss that one time we were in the office together last week, but it's even better to, to do this over the phone like this and looking forward to hearing more stories about Kannapolis and maybe getting a little bit more of your perspective now that you'll be removed uh, from the first road trip when we speak to you next week. Yeah, I will not be in a hotel lobby in uh, Hickory, North Carolina next week. Uh, hopefully we'll talk in person again. And and as always, there's just so much stuff coming uh, from this trip, from Chattanooga, from Rocket City, from uh, Tennessee Smokies, from Hickory Crawdads, from Kannapolis Cannonballers. Uh, I have a lot to sort out, a lot of material to get out there. And so this road trip will live on for quite some time in terms of all the different material I can get out there. And I really appreciate uh, anyone who interacts with me in any way, anyone who says hello to ballpark, anyone who just says they enjoy what I do, because uh, it's a strange thing. And I'm so glad that it's still going this many years later. And tonight, Ballpark 179, Kannapolis Cannonballers, Atrium Health Ballpark. Looking forward to it. And uh, it's good to be out here. Yeah. All right. Well, safe travels, Ben. We'll catch you next week. Sounds good. Good talking to you, Sam. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one was the genuine artifact the others are a pair of fugazi. <laughs> In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Charleston Marlins. B. The High Desert Diamondbacks. C. The Kicking Horse Rockies. <laughs> it may seem improbable, incongruous, or even idiotic, yet it's indisputable. In 1961, a team named for a saltwater sport fish made home of a West Virginia mountain town. A, the Charleston Marlins is the correct answer. 
the product of an ill-fated attempt to expand the International League to San Juan, the Cardinals-affiliated Marlins were cash-shy and costly in Puerto Rico and made a mid-May migration to become a big fish in a smaller pond. Managed by former St. Louis Browns catcher Joel Schultz and featuring prospects like Tim McCarver and Jim Beecham, the maritime mascotted Mountain Moored Club coasted to a second-place finish, sinking Syracuse, grounding the Columbus Jets, and staining the Jersey City jerseys along the way. In the first round of the Governor's Cup playoffs, though, a team with a moniker of City Animal Combination equally unrealistic in the 20th century skunked the Marlins. Maybe you've heard of them. The Buffalo Bisons topped Charleston four games to nil and went on to win the whole shebang. The Marlins never did prove a good catch, as owner Bill MacDonald cast $150,000 irrecoverably into the deep that year. The team moved to Atlanta for 1962, and Charleston welcomed the Cleveland affiliate in the Eastern League. It might have been smoother sailing for the Marlins in West Virginia, though, had Mother Nature not intervened during their year there. A historic flood hit the capital town on July 17, and damage to the ball yard in the season was the least of Charleston's problems. What Powell Park looked like a huge swimming pool, A.L. Hardman reported in the Sporting News. That might have been fine for the fish, but not for the fans. And those are the facts. Hook, line, and sinker on the Charleston Marlins. <laughs> now, on to the question for next time. Which of these professional class-themed teams was a real professional class team? A. The Deerfield Dentists. B. The Evansville Litigators. C. The Temple Surgeons. Want to know the answer? Better go to school for a long while. Or tune in next time to Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is on a tandem bicycle with President Eisenhower. He bikes Ike, and they're about to crash my barbecue. I got the star Saying goodbye on this week's episode of the show before the show, but we have much to get to before we say goodbye. We got a tweet from John, one of our uh, fantastic and longest uh, tenured listeners of the podcast who tweeted at me and you and Ben the other day and said, hey, without baseball, uh, you know, on the major league side for the next couple of nights, they should make MILB.TV free this week and they're they're doing that this weekend uh not not today on thursday but this weekend uh we have free milb.tv uh for the remainder of the the weekend post all-star week and there are so many good matchups to discuss to promote for you um sam is uh you've written up a piece on the 10 best correct and we're going to give you uh, our picks from among those yeah. Yeah. So I have a piece up on MLB pipeline. That's 10 of my favorite matchups of the week. Again, it's free MILB TV. If you're not signed up already, this is a great opportunity uh, for you to tune in see what the product is all about. See as much minor league baseball as you can, if you can't make it out to the ballpark. Um, so this is a really special, special opportunity. It's folded into the hashtag mill major fun uh, initiative that's going on this year. Uh, between the minor league baseball and major league baseball offices. Um, so it's, it, this is a great, great chance for that. Three of the ones that I want to highlight here real quick. I think the big one of the entire weekend, and this is what makes it special for the timing of this, I think, is Bowie is going to Erie. 
So it's the Bowie Bay Sox and the Erie Sea Wolves. They'll have already played a couple of games. All of these series will already have played a couple of games. So they'll be very comfortable with each other. But in this Bowie Erie matchup, you get to see two number one overall picks on the same field, two futures gamers, two very, very talented individuals, two top three overall prospects, even in uh, Adley Rutschman and Spencer Torkelson. Now that would be good in and of itself. But you're also going to see Riley Green, who is another Futures game player. Like Tyler said, he was the only AL hitter to get it more than one hit. He got two on Sunday in Denver. Uh, I think the first game of this series, his first game back from the Futures game, he had a homer and a triple trying to show like, yeah, you guys are going to pay attention to the number one overall picks. I'm a really special hitter myself. Uh, so you would want to tune in for Riley Green on his own if it didn't face feature the other two. Uh, but also on Saturday, Grayson Rodriguez is scheduled to pitch for the Bowie Bay Sox. So you're going to have Grayson Rodriguez, arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball right now, going up against Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green. I'll add Dylan Dingler to that list as well. Somebody who's breaking out really well, has climbed from high A to double A as Torkelson has. Um, so that Bowie Erie series is going to be loaded. Make sure you tune into that if you have the chance. Uh, one other one I'll, I'll feature Real quick here is Mississippi at Tennessee. That will feature two top 100 prospects in Shea Langoliers and Brennan Davis, the reigning Futures Game MVP. Davis, really special power. He showed that off last weekend in Denver. Um, can run into a ball any chance he gets. So he, he, you're going to want to tune in to see if he's the real deal. Spoiler alert, he is. Uh, Shea Langoliers coming into the year was known more of as a defensive wizard behind the plate, uh, but he's had a number of highlights uh, this season where he's shown off better power than I was expecting out of him at the double a level. Uh, like Adley Rutschman, he was a 2019 first round pick. They sent him straight to double a doesn't seem to be an issue. I actually wouldn't be surprised to see him go to triple a at some point, but watch him in Mississippi while you get the chance you will this weekend on MILB.TV for free. And we're going to head all the way down to low a low a West for my final pick, which is San Jose at Modesto. Now, the San Jose Giants have Marco Luciano, who, if you will recall our preview podcast at the beginning of the year, I had him circled as somebody who could be the number one overall prospect by the end of the season. Uh, what he had done last year at the alternate site and at Instructs for the Giants and what he had previously done uh, before that at the lowest levels of the minor leagues pointed to him being a really special hitter from the right side. He's been very good for San Jose this year. I don't think he's quite like knocking on number one overall status, but he's been really good. Noel V. Marte is going to be on the other side of Modesto uh, in the Seattle Mariners system. We currently have him toward the back end of the top 100 prospect list. Wouldn't be at all surprised to see him surge as well, uh, maybe into a top 50 spot. I don't know. We're, we're still going to be working on that in the weeks and months to come, uh, but certainly a pop-up prospect there in, in the Mariners system as if they need another one. So these are two really talented shortstops that will be sharing the field. And again, you can see them for free on MLB TV. Those are just three that I have. Uh, Tyler, which ones are you keeping your eye on? Including one very, very obvious one that I hope people tune in for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm kicking it off with uh, Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas. And that is a, a game that is loaded with three of our favorite prospects. Uh, Julio Rodriguez on the Arkansas side, the second ranked prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization could be the top one soon as there are reports that Jared Kelnick is headed back to the major leagues with the Mariners after the all-star break. Um, Bobby Wood Jr. Also in that game, Nick Prado also in that game on the Royals side. Uh, Nick Prado is a very good story. Uh, a guy who was a, a very high draft selection came in with a lot of hype, kind of struggled to find his way. 
in pro ball and now is really getting figured out this season and uh and was a, a great guy to talk to the other day as well um and so nick prado as part of that northwest arkansas lineup he's a very fun one norfolk and memphis at the triple a level uh those squads will feature really it's more on the memphis side until all of those guys get promoted in norfolk and the orioles organization but uh, matthew libertor He'll get the start on Friday. Libertor was the starter for the National League in the Futures game on Sunday. Uh, he got some time with that USA baseball team that qualified for the Olympics. He's not in the Olympic roster, uh, but he will be pitching for Memphis coming up on Friday. Nolan Gorman also in that lineup, the third base prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Uh, and then I'm going to high A, Greensboro and Rome, which is a, a group that features some very interesting prospects on both sides. Quinn Priester, the Pirates pitching prospect, will get the start for Greensboro coming up on Friday night. Nick Gonzalez is in that lineup uh, for the, the Pirates affiliate, the Grasshoppers. Nick Gonzalez, the product of New Mexico State, who was a, a high draft selection last year in the first round. Uh, and Michael Harris II is on the other side, another guy who we saw in Futures game action this past weekend uh, at Coors Field. He'll be with Rome, and uh, that is a, a very fun collection of talent as well. But this is a terrific story that is up on the site right now get signed up you can watch these games uh for free this weekend on milb.tv we are very excited for all of that uh and since we touched on some Orioles stuff i just want to give a very quick plug i came across a story on monday uh in in connection with the orioles uh heard a, a fan talking on his phone going into coors field uh, about trey mancini and I, I struck up a conversation with him and wrote a story about a, an orioles fan named eddie howard who actually just moved to denver about a month ago but he lost his mom to colon cancer back in november of 2019 the same type of cancer that trey mancini was diagnosed with uh and he went to the home run derby on his own on Monday just to cheer on Trey Mancini. He had a, an Orioles jersey on. He had his Fight 16 t-shirt on. Uh, and I got a chance to talk to Eddie. It turned into a really emotional story. Uh, and it's up at Orioles.com. And you can check it out there. Uh, but I was, I was very, I felt very honored to be able to tell a story like that. And if you're an O's fan or just a fan of a good story, something that makes you feel good, uh, as Trey Mancini certainly did for everybody on Monday with his performance heading to the final in the home run derby, uh, that one is up at MLB.com right now. So uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. This is a packed one. This is a very fun one. And uh, big thanks to Ben, who is on the road, who you can find on social media at Ben's Biz. Big uh, thanks to Josh Jackson, of course, for this week's Ghosts of the the miners which returned uh to radio land for all of you out there and uh and a big thanks to my good buddy sam dykstra uh and that's it he's sam i'm tyler we'll talk to you next week